exactly how much. Start with verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him I declare to you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations for men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring pastor would you pray Praise the Lord. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. This is a uh, this is a great passage of scripture here, and you have to back up a little bit to get uh, more of the story. Back to verse sixteen, Paul is there in Athens, and he sees the idolatry of the city, and he it says in verse seventeen he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews, and meaning he just had discussions with them. And uh, there were various Greeks who were listening, and uh, some of them were uh, very curious about what he was saying. And uh, it seems that the Jews were giving him the most trouble, interestingly enough. But as he, uh, they brought him up to the Areopagus at Mars Hill, and he addresses everybody at their request. You know, some of the greatest preaching opportunities are spontaneous and at somebody else's request. There are responses to questions that other people ask because they see something. They see that you have something and they want to know. And that was the case with, with Peter on the day of Pentecost. He was just basically answering questions, gave them quite a bit more than they, than they had expected. And uh, so Paul is standing up here and, and addressing this group of Greeks and this, uh, these two verses here, verses 27 and 28, these are the ones that I want to focus on, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we also are also his offspring. And... Uh, He's reaching for a specific audience here, that being the, the Greek people, and he's identifying with them by giving them quotes from their own poets. That's what these two, uh, in verse 28, these are quotes from, uh, from people that they would know. And he's not paying homage to the people, but these represent biblical truths, and he's kind of building a bridge to his pagan audience. And... This phrase, in him we live and move and have our being, 
uh, was actually from the, from the mind of a Greek poet. And so they would identify with that. He says, this is true. There is a being out there in whom we live and move and have our being and you're ignorantly worshiping him. And I want to declare him to you. There's this altar that you have made. You've got all of your altars to all of your, your fancy nifty little gods, you know, Zeus and, and Jupiter and, and Mercury and all these types. And, and uh, then you've got this one altar called to the unknown God. Somebody that you don't know anything about. You know that there's got to be somebody above and beyond all of these other gods. And so it is actually said that, uh, that this, this poet that Paul is quoting from, and his name is escaping me right now. It's one of those big, long names that starts with an E and ends with a U.S. like a lot of the Greek names did. But uh, that if I remember the story correctly, there was a you know, a plague or something going on in Greece at, the, at a particular area in Greece, and he was summoned. And he went there and he said, well, you know, you guys are giving offerings to the wrong gods. There's a God that's bigger than all them. And you need to, it, in whom we live and move and have our being, that was what he said. And you need to make sacrifices to that God. And as the story goes, the plague was stayed. And, you know, so that's why they have that altar. But what a, this is, this is a phrase that I just, Every time I get in this neighborhood of the book of Acts, I just have to stop and take a detour and just think about it. In him, we live and move and have our being. That, that is mind-boggling language there, Brother Jesse. It's, it's inside of him that we have life and motion and existence, very literally in him. He must be bigger than his creation, right? He has to be. How big is creation, by the way? Take a minute with that. How big is it? And he's bigger than that. How is that even possible? In him, if, if he is omnipresent and infinite, then everything that is must be in him. And this kind of sounds like pantheism, which is, says that the universe and that everything is actually God, but that's not, he's not his creation. There is God and then there is his creation. There's him and there's everything else. You have to go back to before the beginning and think about a time when there was only him. Praise God. But he is not a creation and he's not his creation. He is both infinite and at the same time definite because he has defined himself. He has defined himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he is the context in which all of life occurs. He's not a part of my life. I am this tiny, minuscule, little, inconsequential consequence of his existence and his being. And I'm, I'm like smaller than a dust mote on a planet compared to him. In him, we live and move and have our being. That is just so awesome. 
the, the, the continuation, think about all of the things that this says, the continuation of each of our lives and even of creation itself is owing to his ongoing goodness and providence. Just like the earth would die uh, and die pretty quickly if the, the sun were to be extinguished, creation itself would wither and implode and cease if he withdrew himself from it, were this even possible, sort of like a flame extinguished for a lack of oxygen. We don't realize it. We take it for granted, but we live in a creation that is bathed in the presence of God. His presence is a wash in creation, whether we realize it or not. He is everywhere. He's all around us. And, and this creation just, it, it bathes in his presence. He gives warmth and life to it by his very existence. And, and, and even the most committed atheist is a beneficiary of the creator's absolute goodness that is around us. Whether they realize it or not doesn't matter. Whether they deny it or not doesn't matter. He sustains us moment by moment by moment. Our existence isn't merely from him, but it remains because of him, because of his continued interest. And were he disposed to destroy us, he wouldn't need to do anything other than withdraw his presence from us. Nobody has any idea what that's like. Deuteronomy chapter 20, there's a verse that says, he is thy life and the length of thy days. He is the reason you are alive and the reason that you continue. <sighs> that's big stuff. And this is very emphatic language that the apostle Paul uses here to describe our absolute dependence on him. And our dependence is absolute. There is no limit to our dependence on him for our very existence. Hebrews chapter one, verse three, it says, who being, speaking of, of Jesus Christ, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And it says, upholding all things, upholding all things by the word of his power, by the rhema of his dunamis. He is upholding all things. If he were to withdraw that, nothing would be upheld anymore. Can't even imagine what that is, what that's like. And there was, as I was reading about this, I was uh, reading some of the commentators and I, I wanna read you something that Joseph Benson said. He was a guy that lived back in the 1700s. And, uh, Language was slightly different back then, but this, uh, I found this to be pretty readable. And he's, this is his, his commentary on these two verses in Acts chapter 17. He said, this denotes his necessary, intimate, and most efficacious presence. The structure of our bodies and the union of our souls to these exquisite pieces of material mechanism, together with the noble faculties of our minds, wherein we resemble God and the admirable end for which this wonderful composition of soul and body is formed afford to every man not only an idea but a proof of the deity supporting and animating him. This is what most people don't realize. We are living, breathing proof that God exists. 
the atheist, the most committed atheist who denies his existence in his own existence is proof of the existence of this great deity. So that no words can better express than these of the apostle do the continual and necessary dependence of all created beings in their existence and all their operations on the first, the universal and the almighty cause. And that's with a capital C. He is the cause for everything that is. I think that's good language there. I think that's good commentary. That's, that's somebody who just sat and chewed on this and chewed on it. And man, he just, he thought about this and just molded over and over and over in his mind. And, and this is one of those verses that's worth doing that. Just sitting in a quiet place and just thinking about that. In him, we live and move and have our being. Mm, that's worth thinking about. We live the entirety of our existence here on earth in his presence. Every moment of our existence is spent in the intimate presence of God. Though he, though we may be entirely unaware of it, there are times when we might be entirely unaware of it. We don't know what true and absolute darkness is because in him we live and move and have our being. Praise God. We don't know, even though this world appears to be coming apart at the seams right now, we don't know what it's like to live in a world that is void of the intimate presence of the creator. And so we take, for the, we, we take this for granted, Brother Martinez, we take for granted the ubiquity of the presence of God. The everywhereness of the presence of God. He is everywhere. How many passages of scripture declare that? And we, we so easily take it for granted. And we don't realize that were he disposed to do it, the very worst thing that he could do to his creation is not to destroy it, but to withdraw himself from it. Something that is really unimaginable. We walk in his presence. We live and we move and we have the entirety of our existence in his presence. And the only variable here, because he's constant, he doesn't vary. The only variable is our awareness of it. Praise God. Verse 27 said that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Every one of us. He's not far from every one of us. And if we would just seek him, he would be found. I like the way some of the more modern versions render this verse the, uh, the contemporary English version says, God has done all this so that we will look for him and reach out and find him. For he isn't far from any of us. 
The English standard says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. And, and the Greek word there, it's kind of like somebody groping around in the darkness. All right. And if you're groping around in the darkness, but you're looking for him, you're going to find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, it says. The ERV, Pastor, the easy-to-read version. You know what my problem with the easy-to-read, the ERV is? It implies that there is an HRV, a hard-to-read version, which they would all say is the King James. And I agree that sometimes it can be. The ERV says God wanted people to look for him. He wants to be found. And perhaps in searching around for him, they would find him. But he is not far from any of us. The ISV, so that they might look for God and somehow reach for him and find him. Of course, he is never far from any one of us. Back up in verse 23. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom ye therefore ignorantly worship. Him I declare unto you. And amongst all of the gods that they knew, and he, he said, you guys are really, really religious people. When he said, you're too superstitious, he was saying, you guys are really religious, devout. And amongst all of the gods that they knew uh, that they had built their altars to, and they knew them, they knew those gods really well. They knew all of their qualities, all of their characteristics because they created them. It's not all that, that difficult a thing to do. But they knew, someone knew at some point, someone thought enough about this and knew that there had to be one that was above all of those. There has to be something bigger than all these gods that we know. One that was beyond their ability to know and one that they didn't invent. One that was transcendent. And the, the word, the Greek word for the word unknown there is the word agnostos, which is where we get our word agnostic. You can be religious and be agnostic. You can be very religious and be agnostic. You can believe in and seek for something greater than yourself and something so far that's been unknown to you and beyond your knowledge and experience. But deep down in your spirit, you know it's there. I mean, before you, before you really found the Lord, you knew there was something there. You knew it. I was, I was listening to uh, uh, Brother Martinez's last message, and, and, you know, he got to talking about that time in the car sitting in front of the church. Remember that? I had a time sitting in the car. When, when God spoke to me, and it was, it was the, the night before my 19th birthday, and my cousin had come up. He was actually my uncle, but he's only a year older than me. I call him my cousin. And uh, I think he supplied the weed, and I brought the, the alcohol. And we had ourselves a good time right there in the cab of his truck. That was, that was how we did things. And uh, we, we could carry on just sitting there in the truck, listening to music, zoning out. I mean, it's, listen, it's nothing to admire, Loaded people are some of the stupidest people on the planet. <laughs> and we would sit there 
and listen to music. And then one of us would say something dumb and then we'd both start laughing at it, you know, get the giggles. And uh, all of a sudden this, this, and we could do that for hours. I don't know. <clears throat> anyway, we, th th there, this, this quiet moment descended on that pickup. We were sitting down in the state park in Coloma and it just got quiet. I don't know what happened to the music. It just got quiet. And we were both just sitting there staring out the window and all of a sudden he starts talking after several moments. I don't know how long he started talking about some things that a guy that he worked with had been sharing with him. A guy who happened to go to Brother Edgar's church, Sister Kathy. And man, this, 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 guy, this guy had been laying some stuff on my cousin and he didn't understand any of it. He knew nothing about what this man was saying to him, but it was getting to him. And so now he, in his completely ignorant and very inebriated state, just starts passing along something that somebody else dropped in his lap. He, he, just, he just passes it along to me. He knows nothing about this. And he's completely stoned out of his mind. I know nothing about it. I'm stoned out of my mind. And yet... I'm listening to what he's saying. And if there was ever a doubt in my mind whether or not God really reached out to me and called me, I have to remember that day because sobriety just came over me and I was in my right mind. By the word secondhand from somebody who was completely under the influence and I just sat there dumbfounded. I don't even know what he said. I don't remember but it got to me. And I just sat there silent, listening as he shared this secondhand testimony to me. And then he got quiet and then he got the giggles. But I wasn't giggling anymore. The night was over for me. I was stone cold sober. And he was over there laughing all by himself. And I said, I'm done. I want to go home. And, you know, he protested. Well, we're, we're, we're just getting started here. I said, nope, I'm done. Let's go home. I'm telling you what, the word of God is quick and it's powerful. Even in the hands of somebody that has no idea how quick and powerful it is. And what was going on was that, that lingering question that had been in my mind for almost most of my awareness in my 19 years started getting answered that night. That there was an identity, an identification between me and what was being said. I mean, it got right down. It was completely by accident. He had no idea, but it penetrated right down into that place in my spirit that always wondered, there's got to be more than this. We're living in a world today that wants so desperately to believe that there is something more than what they've experienced. 
those Greeks were living in a world where they needed there to be something more than all of their fancy little gods with all of their lightning bolts and whatever costumes they wore and whatever characteristics they had. They desperately wanted something more than all of those phony gods that they set up. And that was their unknown God. Something greater than any of them, something that was, that was unknown, but it was beyond their knowledge and beyond their spirit, but their experience, but deep in their spirit, they knew that it was there. Ecclesiastes 3.11, another mind-blowing verse. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart. Anybody ever done a study on that word world right there? Everywhere else, almost everywhere else, most of the other places that it's used in the Old Testament, it's translated ever or everlasting. Did you know that he put ever in your heart? He put everlasting in your heart. Most of the newer translations translate that as eternity. He has set eternity in their hearts. There is something inside of you that identifies with something way bigger than everything else that you can lay your hands on. It's reaching for it. He has set eternity in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from beginning to end. That word is, is olam, eternity, everlasting. It's like God installed in every one of us a sense that there's more than you can see. There's more than you can know. There's more. There's something everlasting, and that just, it creates a little bit of a disturbance in you, doesn't it? Right? It's sort of like, you know, what, what, what happens when you read a sentence that ends with dot, dot, dot? There's more. When there's a period or there's an exclamation point, that's it. It's settled. But when somebody finishes it with dot, 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 that leaves you hanging, doesn't it? God put dot, dot, dot inside of us. And he's the period. He's the exclamation point. Colossians tells us, ye are complete in him. And without him, you just have this big dot, dot, dot in your life. A certainty of your own incompleteness. <sighs> he is what completes us. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. He, he calls himself the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending. He is what's final. And so a relationship, not just to him, but with him is what completes us. Everybody has a relationship to him. He's your creator. Even the atheist has a relationship to him because he's a created being. But God isn't content with that. And there's something inside of every single one of us that isn't content with that either. 
We want to have that relationship with him. And Paul wanted to convert these agnostics into Gnostics from ignorance to knowledge. He said, you ignorantly worship this God, but I want to declare him to you. I want to erase that dot, dot, dot in your minds and put an exclamation point on it for you. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I want to tell you something. This, this is the thing that every single individual, even those who are completely antagonistic to it, this is what everyone needs. This is what everybody is looking for because everybody knows, every human being knows that there is something else. That there's something bigger, something beyond, something transcendent. Everyone knows that there has to be more to life than this, more than just this. And they want there to be more than just what they've seen and experienced and imagined. Praise God. This world needs for there to be more than just what they've seen. I want to tell you, you know what drives many people to end their lives? Is the firm conviction that there's nothing else beyond this which is at odds with something that's deep, deep inside of them, by the way. Praise God. So if you have ever wondered, is there more than just this? The great news is there is. If you've ever looked at your religious life, oh, come on now. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to amen. You don't have to raise your hand. If you've ever looked at your religious life and thought, is there more than this? There is, there absolutely is, because when he begins to show himself to you, he begins to reveal himself to you. You won't ask, is this all there is? Even though there's more than what he's shown you. And I remember early in my experience in church, after all the newness and the excitement wore off and things kind of settled into this religious routine, I remember thinking something like, is this it? I mean, I'm not really all that impressed if this is it. And I was hesitant to even think it out loud because I thought that would make God mad. Stand you not impressed? <laughs> it didn't anger him. It didn't. I think he wants people to ask that question. I think he wants us to go there. Just like when Peter stood knee deep in that boat full of smelly fish, but he was standing there in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he got something, didn't he? But he didn't get everything. He continued to get more and more and more. It was that same guy, the same one who said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, oh yeah, yeah, you got something. I'm gonna give you the keys. And, and the one that, that when, when Jesus said, well, will you guys go away also? Peter was the one that said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. It wasn't that long after that that he said, I don't know that guy. Wasn't it? He didn't have everything yet. Because there's always more. This is an infinite God that we serve. It doesn't matter how far you go with this. It doesn't matter how deep you get. It does not matter how far and how deep you go. There's always going to be more than that. 
And so I want to close with this as we all stand right now. You might have, you might have said that yourself. Wow, all these fish are great, but this is, is this it? Wow, the Holy Ghost is great, but is this it? Boy, that'd be blasphemy in some places. But the answer is absolutely not. God has more for every one of us, more of himself. And it's not just the things that he wants to do for us. And he does want to do things for us. He does want to pour blessings out upon us. But the greatest thing that he could do for any one of us is to reveal himself to us, just to show us more and more and more of who he is. That is the very thing that brings meaning to life. It is the only thing that will bring any kind of meaning to this life. And it was Peter who would end his second epistle with that charge to us, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you live to be a thousand years old, you'll never get to the bottom of it. If you live to be a thousand years old, you'll never get everything that there is to get. Not in this flesh. I mean, there'll come a time. Paul said, there's going to come a day when I'm going to know him the way he knows me now. But as long as you're here, just like he said in Acts chapter 17, keep seeking. Even, even if you just feel like you're groping around in the dark, keep seeking. Because this is a God that wants to be found. This is a God that wants to be known. And that's the thing, the only thing that will complete you, Pastor. Amen. Well, I think I'm going to uh, play and sing a song. And if there's anybody here that really feels like they need more of Jesus, if you feel like <clears throat> maybe you've asked the question, is there more? Uh, well, there is more. And um, so I'm going to just play and sing this song. And um, if you would like to come forward and just begin to seek, begin to ask him, God, I need more. I need something today. Something more than what I have had. I need to see something. And um, just wondering if, if you guys are willing to reach out to him today.
got it all but what I need is more of you of things I've had my fill and yet I hunger I've had